0: Good morning, everybody. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 17 this morning. So if you have your Bible, turn there. Uh, Welcome everybody at the Cove campus and watching online uh, as we jump into uh, this passage this morning and, and kind of as we continue to make our way through the gospel of Matthew. So look at verse 22 with me of Matthew chapter 17. It says, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, "'Does your teacher not pay the tax?' He said, "'Yes.' And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, "'What do you think, Simon? "'From, who do, from whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax?' from their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, do not, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself." This passage um, is only found in Matthew's gospel. And so if you haven't um, kind of connected with this passage before or, or have missed it for some reason, like there, there's a reason. Matthew is the only one who records this interesting moment of attacks to the temple, this conversation between Jesus and Peter and this fish, this fish that is going to you know, be a, a provision miracle of, of a coin. And and in fact, another little wrinkle to this passage is it's the only miracle that we have that doesn't necessarily, you're not sure that it happened. Like it, it sounds like a miracle, but Jesus is actually talking about what he tells Peter to do, but you don't really know whether Peter went out and did it or not. You don't see here recorded in Matthew that he did cast the hook in, he did pull out a fish, the coin was there and he paid the tax. Jesus is just telling him to do that. So there's some interesting aspects to this miracle and to this account that Jesus has here that we're looking at Matthew chapter 17. And I just want to tell you that as I've looked at it, I've never never really taught on this passage before too as we're making our way through Matthew's gospel. It's it's kind of what, it's one of those moments for all of us where it may be new for all of us, but there are so many surprises within this text. And I think part of my heart behind preaching through the gospel of Matthew the way we have is it, it forces us into passages like this that we might just pass over. And we're like, I don't really know what's going on here. So let's kind of move on to something else. But what also happens when you see a passage like this is it, is it holds out perhaps for you this morning, even a surprise that you're gonna hear something this morning or encounter something through God's word uh, that you didn't expect, just like this conversation Jesus has with Peter and a fish with a coin in its mouth. So let's talk about the temple tax what What was the temple tax? What, what's happening here in this moment as these men are walking around uh, collecting this tax? And this tax goes all the way back into Exodus. And so Exodus before the temple, actually with the tabernacle, it was a place where God met with the people. The tabernacle was this kind of mobile temple. It was this tent that was very ornate, where the priests met, the sacrifices were given. and the temple tax went to, the tabernacle to pay for all of the things that were happening within the life of the tabernacle and temple. It went to pay for the sacrifices. It went to buy food for the priests. It clothed the priests. It it was, um, in a sense, a cover charge for all of the temple activities that were going on. And so when Jesus hears this question, when the question comes to Peter, does your teacher not pay this? The assumption is he does. Because every Jewish male, 20 years or older paid this tax and they had done it for generations and it was this paying of the tax was part of what it looked like to be uh, devoted. You went to Jerusalem for the pilgrimages. You went to, uh, you went to the, on Sabbath, you went to the synagogues, right? You you paid this tax. You observed the feast. There were, this tax was part of kind of a, a collection of very pious, devoted activities that the men of Israel gave themselves to it was a sign of godliness and so as these men come ask Peter does your master pay the tax right Peter says yes but the, the question is an interesting question because it could allude that Jesus has said some very interesting things interesting things about the temple up to this point Like he said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. So, this was a, Jesus was not unknown for saying things about the temple that could have confused his loyalty to it or its prominence. And John chapter 2 records a moment where Jesus goes into the temple in Jerusalem. He turns over tables that were there for money exchange. And Jesus says, Destroy this temple in three days, and I will build it back. Well, they're like, hey, it took us 46 years to build this temple. What are you talking about destroying the temple? Right? There was always this confusion. In fact, this whole idea of Jesus destroying the temple was one of the charges that was brought against him just before the crucifixion. So it's not unusual like, to say that Jesus said some things about the temple that were curious, maybe even for some off-putting. So for these men to come to Peter and say, hey, doesn't your master pay the tax? Jesus, Peter says, yes. And as he does, he goes into the house, and this is the interaction that Jesus then has with Peter. What do you think, Simon? From who do the kings take a toll or a tax? From their children or from others? And Peter thinks about it for a second, and he says, well, the king takes a toll or a tax from others. He goes, that's right. Sons are free. But so there's no offense. Go and pay the tax. There's so much here. So I want to look at the three ideas in this statement that Jesus makes. One, Jesus says something about sons. He says something about freedom. And he says something about offense. So let's look at sons, freedom, and offense this morning. Jesus said the sons are free not to pay, but go ahead and do it. It's within, he's saying something to Peter right now. It's implied, do you hear what he's saying? Sons are free, but go ahead and pay it. In other words, Peter you are a son. He's saying something about the disciples. He's saying something about those that would believe him. Jesus is saying something so incredible about the identity of his followers, the identity of his followers. Our sense of self, our identity, it it, it comes in a lot of ways. Sometimes we form our sense of self or identity around things that have happened to us, uh, either tragic things or even great and fantastic things, kind of happen in our lives and these events that we they kind of create a story for us They, they they attach themselves to our lives and we know ourselves kind of based upon these things that have taken place in our life but often our sense of identity comes in this what you do I am what I do and so your role or responsibility kind of triggers this part of who you are and who you see yourself to be when you often ask somebody tell me a little bit about yourself people will often start with well this is what I do this is my occupation. This is my vocation, right? So our roles and responsibilities begin to play into this sense of who we are, our sense of self, our identity. Uh, to tell you just a little bit about my wife, she I watched this in her for, for years. So often when people ask her what she did, she would say, well, I'm an ER nurse, but I do home health now. And I heard her say that for a long time And a I said, hey, honey, why do you often introduce yourself as an emergency room nurse who does home health now. And she thought about it for a second. She says, well, emergency room nurses, like they know stuff, right? People think about emergency room nurses differently. Home health nurses like change bandages and bring people's groceries in, right? They get the mail. Like I, like I do that, Like I do, but I like, like what I love, what I, what I enjoy, what I love talking about is kind of is the ER. And this idea of when our identity and our sense of self is connected to our role or our responsibility or what we do, and that changes, then our sense of self or identity all of a sudden changes too. It moves. There's all kinds of ways that we experience this devaluing. There's all kinds of ways we try to help our soul when the thing that we thought we were good at, when the thing that we were known for, when the thing that we introduced ourselves with is no longer there, right? There's, a, there's this, well, who am I? What, what do I do? What is my purpose? And then we engage in all kinds of physical relationships, maybe even early pour ourselves into careers, achievement hours. We, we begin to gather the praise of people and like, what do people praise me for? What are they, what are they excited about me in my life? How am I adored? And all of those things then kind of add to this difficulty in our lives of like knowing who we are and the sense of value or self or identity. Tell a woman that she's confident. Tell a woman that she's a people, she's not a people pleaser. That it's amazing that you evidently don't care how you even look when you leave the house in the morning, right? Like that all of a sudden feels a little strange to her. She's like, I like the way this started. Tell a man that he has great potential. Like, huh, like I like the sound of that, but it seems like I'm am I underperforming right now? Is that what we're really saying? Right? This whole word shift, and all of us and the very things that feel like in compliments and encouragements have this other side to them. And And our soul is longing for this place of stability, this place of permanence. When everything is always moving, what you do, your roles, your responsibility, words, situations, when all of that continues to change, how do you know who you are? How do you derive value? What is your sense of self and worth? Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher from the 1800s said this. He says, the greatest hazard of all is losing one's self. And it can occur very quietly in the world as if it were nothing at all. No other loss can occur so quietly. Any other loss, an arm, a leg, $5, a wife, is sure to be noticed. So Jesus says something to Peter in this moment like a lightning bolt. He says the sons are free. He gives Peter something else than what he's what he does, what's happened to him, what he's experienced, what others have said. He says, Peter, the sons are free. And in this moment, he gives Peter a better way, a deeper way, a more true way of understanding who he is, his identity. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You feel like it's almost like building, this this idea of identity and who we are now. Peter says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not received, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you hear all these things that Peter's saying of who we are now? chosen, royal, holy, a treasured possession, right? Those that have experienced mercy. Paul adds to this in Romans chapter eight. Not only are we the people of God, but then Paul pushes it even deeper that each person is a son or daughter in Christ. Listen to what he says in Romans eight fifteen. 15. For, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons in whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Like this is what he's saying. Like This is this wonderful opportunity. Like you could leave here today with this sense, this deeper sense, this more connected and true sense that you are chosen, royal, holy, a treasured possession, a son and daughter of God through Christ. What an identity. What a statement that he's beginning to make that those that received him, that those that believed in his name, John chapter one says, he gave them the right to become sons and daughters of God. What a shift. This this movie has been remade multiple times, but do you remember this movie called Freaky Friday? It's this, The the, the idea is set up between a, a daughter and a mom. Something happens, they switch places into the other person's body. And so mom takes on all this youthful quality of the daughter and the daughter takes on all this wisdom and maturity and life experience that the mom brings. And it reminds me of how many movies like that have we seen at this point where you think, man, if I could just go back and live my life like when I was younger, with what I know now, like the, the confidence, what I wouldn't sweat, what I wouldn't do, the decisions I would make. If I could just go back and kind of live my life with this new understanding, this greater wisdom and insight in life experience, like how life would be different. We've all played that out in our minds at some place. Th- this is what's happening here, that you get a new identity. Like this could be a freaky Sunday for you that you could actually leave church today with a new identity, a new life, a new privilege, a new position, that the penalty of sin would be gone, that the power of sin would be broken, that you could come in here, a dead person, in your trespasses and sins, and leave alive in Christ, unified with him as a son or daughter of God. Do you hear that? The sons are free, Jesus says. This is what's available to us. This is what he's highlighting. Like how rich is just that very idea of identity and becoming the family of God. And with sonship comes freedom. So Jesus is saying with sonship comes freedom. Jesus says that what king collects a tax from his own children? My oldest daughter graduated college a couple years ago and then moved back in with us. And I could have said, hey, it would be great since you're living here now Uh, you kind of eat our food, pay, you know, you use our utilities, you you sleep. You're like, I could, like, what about a tax? What about a rent? Like, could you kind of, and this will be kind of, it's helpful to you because you'll understand just how rent and utilities and food costs kind of play into your budget. But I didn't do that. Just come and live with us. Because what she was doing purposely was saving up money so that she could then start her new life. This, this moment, like, I, it, listen, tax your kids if they're like still living in your basement and you don't want them to be there anymore. Like, I, under, I understand that might be a parenting move, but for, for me in our home in this moment, like this season of her life had purpose and I didn't want to disadvantage her. I wanted to give her every advantage I possibly could. I wanted to set her up so that the thing that she was going to do, the purpose that was now placed upon her life, that she could do, that she could accomplish, And this is what you're beginning to see. Jesus says, the the king doesn't tax his own kids. They get a royal exemption from everything else because they're the king's kids, because their life is different, because their purpose is different, because what they're here to do is different than it was before. They're not typical. It's not normal. They get a royal exemption. And your life as a son and daughter of God sets new values, new purposes, a new direction to your life. what jesus is saying he says who the son sets free is free indeed we love the idea of freedom it's very american it may be one of the most uh values or qualities we most appreciate freedom in america this idea that we no one's controlling us right that we're we're beyond prejudices beyond Freedom from regulation, oppression, right? We, this idea of freedom, like it's a value here. But the very next surprise in the passage, right, is the sonship that's offered to us in Jesus comes with a freedom that limits itself. A freedom that limits itself. That limits itself if it offends. It's fascinating. Biblical freedom is a freedom with a purpose. Biblical freedom is a freedom with a purpose. I'll give you an example. Go back into the moment where Israel is in Egypt. They're in slavery. Moses is sent to lead the people out and he goes to Pharaoh and he is given this, he's given the words by God to say, go to Pharaoh and tell him this. And this is what God tells Moses to say. Exodus chapter seven, verse 16. And you shall say to Pharaoh, the Lord the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, "Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness." This isn't just let my people go. This isn't just freedom for free or freedom's sake. This isn't just, let's throw off all constraints, obligations and commitments. It's this: God's liberation of His people has a particular purpose in view, that God frees His people so that they might worship so that they might serve, so that they might love. God frees us to worship, serve, and love. God didn't send us into the wilderness so that we would serve no God. God sent us into the wilderness so that we would serve the one true God. And that's where the freedom is. It's in this worship, service, love. It's not just freedom from, it's freedom for. It's freedom to. You are free, Jesus says. You're free to do the better thing. you're you're free to do the greater thing. You're actually free to give the tax. Not because you have to, because you're a son, you're a daughter, but you're free to give the tax so that you don't offend. We're not, we don't live our lives anymore in this sense of compulsion as if we have to. We do it because love compels us to. Service, worship, Right, Freedom is not detachment in the Bible. Freedom is not withholding obligations because the best kind of love comes with commitment. This is a big change. I mean, listen to what Jesus is saying just in this simple statement. Jesus says, the sons are free. However, to not give offense, pay the tax. To not give offense, pay the tax. Listen to what Peter says again, 1 Peter chapter 2. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Oh, man. Sonship, identity. Power, privilege, position, purpose, all of it. Freedom, no longer under the same constraints that you were, no, under, no longer under the same obligations, right? No longer, right? You're sons of the king and yet serve, he says, honor. Don't take this freedom that you've been given in Christ to then just go out and live recklessly, wantonly, to to, to do evil things that you can just cover up and say, I'm free to do this. I'm free in Christ. That's not what he says. But he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, you are free now not to offend. Free to not offend. Listen, Jesus could have paid the tax. He he didn't, he could be paying the tax for a lot of reasons. He could be paying the tax because at this point, he doesn't want to do this thing and appear as an agitator, right? He's in his hometown. There's a lot of people that he knows and loves and he's grown up with. And so, he may be paying the tax because he doesn't want to escalate something, appear as an agitator. He may be paying a tax right now because to not pay the tax would like, it's. this isn't the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These aren't the religious leaders. These are just some guys collecting the temple tax. He didn't want to shock them. He's not wanting to create a controversy with them right now. I, he may not be paying that, he may be paying the temple tax to avoid, right? Whatever breaking of fellowship would happen. Like this tax has been paid for generations. People believe that this is a good thing that you give the temple just a little bit so that the temple can do all the important stuff that the temple does. Right? So from generations old, this tax is, Jesus doesn't want to disfellowship himself over this issue. He evidently doesn't think. Not paying the temple tax is the statement of faith that he needs to make right now, is the statement of loyalty that he needs to make. The temple tax wasn't that impressive for him, that there are other battles to fight, there are other hills to die on, which which provides a fantastic question for us. What relationships are you willing to go without? What relationships are you willing to lose? That's what it's asking here. Jesus determined that paying the two drachma temple tax was not a hill to die on. What hill are you dying on that isn't about the gospel? Are you taking a stand for something, being a proponent of something good or wrong and it doesn't point people to Jesus. This is what Jesus is is offering. This is what he's he's kind of raising the value on. There are lots of hills to fight on. There are lots of battles, but the temple tax for Jesus isn't a debate he's interested in walking into. He says, we're gonna pay it so that we don't offend anybody. We're gonna pay it so that we can keep moving forward, right? He's not creating a debate about the temple tax. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, For though I am free from all, Paul says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Oh man, this is good. Because sonship changes our relationship with God and sonship changes our relationship with others. Because when you've been, listen, when you've been forgiven more than you can imagine, when you've been established and secured in Christ's work, salvation, and you are more stable than you can imagine, then what happens when someone offends you? What happens when someone offends you when you've already been forgiven more than you can imagine? Right? Whatever it is, that forgiveness doesn't compare. That debt, that, that offense doesn't even compare to what God has forgiven you over. When you walk into a room in which you feel insecure, the people around you are like, They're unpredictable. You're not sure if they're for you or against you, but you walk in on a foundation and a footing that is so sure because you walk in on the solid footing that you are a son or daughter of God because of what Christ has done for you, right? It changes your experience. It changes the worry. It changes the people pleasing connected to others. You aren't the same person when you take on this heavenly identity as a son or daughter of God. And when that happens you don't need people the way that you used to, right? Because before you needed their affirmation, you needed their approval in order to have some sense of self, some sense of value, some identity. But when you understand yourself as a son or daughter of God through Christ, then you don't need other people in the same way that you used to. And when you don't need something from people, you're free to love them. I don't have to get something from you first in order to love you, I'm free been established, I have a new identity, and now I can give before I get anything. What a place that he's offering us. What you value and what you love does begin to create obligations. I mean, when all of a sudden you find yourself loving the security that you have in Christ, loving your new role and identity as a son or daughter, a member of the family of God, then what happens is you begin to care ultimately about what God cares about. You begin to care ultimately about what the Father is after. As the kingdom goes forward, the kingdom moving forward becomes your hope. Jesus being pointed at becomes your goal. Sometimes we pay the temple tax so that others would know Jesus. Sometimes we don't. But the point is what in this situation is going to allow people to best understand who Christ is, to best hear the gospel. That's what we're after. Does this moment in which I am free of obligation, what will give Jesus the greatest opportunity? And I think this is what helps us understand the the miracle, right? This is what helps us understand this wild coin in a fish's mouth, this miracle of provision, because it's not your typical miracle, right? It's a coin in a fish's mouth to pay a tax. So what is it about? Well, it's about the sovereignty of God about a moment, a moment in which somebody was walking by the Sea of Galilee and dropped a coin in by accident, cast it out there making a wish. Somebody flipped it out there at some point in time and a fish came and saw it in the ocean and swallowed it. And then that fish swam around for some time. And then two guys collecting attacks talked to Peter. Peter talked to Jesus. Jesus told Peter, go cast in a hook. And the very first fish that you catch It's gonna have a coin in its mouth. Take the coin out and pay the tax for both of us. the, The miracle is this, if you are positioning your life to glorify Jesus, to see the kingdom advance, to hear God's word and obey it, God will provide for you in ways that are miraculous. God will meet the needs in your life, not the needs that you determine our needs, but the needs that God determines our needs in your life to see the gospel go forward. If you live for this, the kingdom advance, if you live for pointing people to Jesus, if you're in a situation where you have needs to be met, let's see what God's gonna do. That God miraculously provides when we love our neighbor. God miraculously provides when we're obeying Christ to love Christ and our neighbor and to see the gospel goes forward. The story of the fish is the signal that if you decide to direct your life to the exaltation of Jesus, to glorifying him, to living every moment of your life for Christ, if you do that, if you obey his word, let's see what God does. Let's see what God does because God, scripture says, Philippians 4.19, that God will meet all your needs you'll meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ. This is beautiful. How you go about living for Jesus and loving others, how you do that, God will meet needs in ways that you could not predict. How you live for God and love others. So I don't don't have a new new rule for you on, on what to do in each situation, but we have Christ. We have his hope. And, and we have his sacrifice that we have that guides us, that informs us. And this is why I think Matthew included this unique miracle to his gospel right after Jesus talked about his death. Right, just before this, verse 22, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered over into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. This is connected to the temple tax. Let me show you, Exodus chapter 30. Go way back into the story. Here it is, Exodus 30. Listen for it. Verse 15, the rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less. Then the half shekel, when you give to the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives they doing? What does the temple tax represent? It's this work that happens at the temple where our lives and God's lives are atoned for, where what was separated, what were two, are now one, at one, atoned for, where the sacrifices happen, where sins are covered, where forgiveness goes out. That's what the temple tax was to be a reminder of constantly. That's what it was funding, was this center of Israel's hope that the temple was the place where God would meet with his people, the place where God would forgive people. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the temple. I am the better temple. And I'm paying the temple tax for you. I will be the ransom. I will be it for the rich and I will be it for the poor. And I will give you something that no longer, Peter, the way in which you used to live The the obligations and constraints that you used to be under, they're going to be different now. You're free. You're a son. You're a daughter. This is what's happening. Jesus replaces the temple. Through his life, through his death and his resurrection, he now becomes the center of our spiritual life. He now becomes a place in which we meet God. We experience forgiveness. The temple was a reminder of all of our sin and all this religious activity, this continual sacrificial activity. And Jesus put an end to it by his one complete perfect death. And he paid the tax for us. And because Jesus did that, we aren't bound like we were we aren't we've been freed and 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 freedom isn't even the highest virtue freedom to just be free that's that's not that's not what we're loving but what we love is we've been set free to love to worship to serve to exalt in every situation and when i do that when i set my life in that direction to worship and serve and love and exalt jesus in every situation I will see God meet needs. I'll see God surprise, we'll see God surprise us. This is what the beautiful thing, the children of the king are free and free children at times limit their freedom for Christ so that the gospel could go forward. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing passage. Oh, it's filled with, I, I, I don't know Lord, what each of us need to take away from this morning. Lord, it just may be a new identity that we leave with. That you would allow your spirit to work within our hearts in a way that this being a son or being a daughter of God through Christ would just sink a little deeper into our hearts. That we would find a more sure foundation than anything that we've trusted in before, anything that we've tried to derive value before, that from this, from Jesus, from his life, not ours, from what he did, not what we do, from his performance, from his obedience, from his love and holiness, that our lives could be changed and experience freedom and worship and love without limit. God, will you encourage our hearts this morning that even with, that there might even be someone here this morning that makes, takes John chapter one at its word that that those that received him and believed in his name, he gave them the right to become sons and daughters of, of God. That we could receive you in our heart, we could believe in the name and work of Christ, that what he did on the cross was for me. that he paid the tax so that I could truly be free, that I could be a child of the King. Lord, let us believe that wholeheartedly today and leave changed. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.